0: All right, my friends. Hey, thanks again uh, for listening in to the podcast, OCD Straight Talk with Chris Lyons, licensed psychotherapist and anxiety disorders and OCD spectrum disorders treatment specialist reaching out to you from uh, Minnesota's Twin Cities, home of the Microbrew. Well, as always, please be reminded that this is a podcast and is only intended as a podcast. It is not designed in any way to take the place of evidence-based psychotherapy or to serve as your medical advice. Well, excellent. I wanted to go ahead and circle back around to a 1984 study uh, published in Behavior Therapy at the hands of Edna Foa and colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania. And the uh, the uh, I'm sorry. The uh, the research study looked at uh, a group of subjects meeting diagnostic criteria for obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. And broke those, uh, those individuals into three groups. The first group was given exposure and ritual prevention, or EXRP, for OCD. The second group was given exposure therapy without response prevention. And the third group was given a protocol of response prevention without exposure therapy. Now, you won't be surprised to learn that the first group, the one given exposure with, re- with uh, response prevention, made the most therapeutic progress. You may, however, be surprised to learn that, guess what? The second and third groups also made statistically significant gains. Now, why would you be surprised to learn that? The reality is this, that we can't do exposure therapy if we're simultaneously engaging compulsions, right? And and we can't prevent compulsions and not do exposure therapy. So they really are two sides of the same coin. If I'm doing exposure therapy, that necessarily means... I am preventing, restricting, and stopping compulsions. One necessarily means the other. And if I am preventing compulsions, again, that necessarily means I am engaging exposure therapy. To say it again, they are two sides of the same coin. So we shouldn't be terribly surprised that Edna Foa and colleagues out of the University of Pennsylvania in 1984 found that in fact... The second and third groups made statistically significant gains uh, um, <clears throat> in contradistinction to or, or, uh, or up against in comparison to the first group, which was given exposure with response prevention. So in some genuine sense, uh, the first, second, and third groups had uh, more in common uh, with regard to their treatment protocols than not. Uh, again, to engage exposure therapy necessarily means I am resisting and stopping uh, compulsions. Now, perhaps you've been engaging exposure therapy for some period of time with your therapist and have not been finding that it's meaningfully helpful. So the punchline here, uh, my friends, is we have to We have to stop compulsions within that process and without that process. What I mean by that is we have to be able to stop, uh, compulsions throughout the day, the average day in a consistent way. Otherwise, guess what? You're not going to be making therapeutic progress regardless, regardless of how much time you're spending doing, uh, you know, so-called exposure therapy again, just to, to kind of beat the dead horse a little further, if you will. If we're engaging safety behaviors or compulsive patterns or, or ritualistic uh, routines, etc., guess what? We're only feeding or fueling the system and we're getting nowhere. We're spinning our wheels in a snowstorm. We have to be able to stop compulsions in a consistent and strategic and disciplined way in order to make progress. If we don't, guess what? We're not. Okay, that's the reality of it. So I do want to encourage you, uh, kind of empower you with that information that in this sense, as we've been saying all along, that we really are happening to our anxiety disorders as opposed to our anxiety-related disorders happening to us. So the more we engage these safety behaviors, guess what? The more there is fuel in the tank of the anxiety-related disorder. Okay, so we can sort of say it this way, that, uh, that OCD and the anxiety-related disorders really are more behavioral disorders than they are emotive or anxiety uh, related disorders. They they are more uh, behaviorally related disorders. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know what I mean by that. The reality of it is the more we engage these behaviors, the worse we feel, the, 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 the more we work to restrict. That is to say, the less we do the behaviors, the better we feel. That is the simple reality of it. So again, I can't prevent compulsions and not engage exposure therapy. So if I'm engaging exposure therapy to say it the other way around again, that means necessarily I am consistently preventing compulsions. Great. So that leads me into another piece that I wanted to be able to discuss today on this podcast, and that is the reality and the issue of uncertainty. Now you say, what does uncertainty have to do with exposure therapy? The answer, my friend, is everything. Uncertainty has everything to do with an anxiety-related disorder. It has everything to do with getting better. Everything. So let's, let's take it this way. So let's suppose I'm in a room right now, which of course I am in a room right now, and on a wall near me, there is a large wolf spider. Now, perhaps some of you may not know, uh, what a wolf spider is, although I imagine many of us do, but a wolf spider is like a really large, uh, you know, black spider and generally has fairly thick legs, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a fairly intimidating, uh, and large, uh, spider. And so let's, you know, oftentimes it can be, you know, three or even four inches in diameter. This is a large spider. Um, not, not, you know, not, not a small spider. Um, so we you know, let's suppose the spider is, is, uh, is in the room with me and, and not only is it in the room with me, but it's, it's a, it's a few feet from, uh, from my face, let's just imagine that this spider is is has crawled up the wall, and is and is sort of looking at me with its uh, multiple eyes, and I can sort of see that it's looking at me, and uh, and it has these long, hairy, thick legs, and a and a, and a you know and a and a spider like body, and it's a, it's a big fella, you know. Let's just sort of imagine uh, this together, and, and so here I am sort of uh doing exposure therapy if you will uh because i'm i'm sitting here and i'm looking at this large specimen uh big fella and uh and uh you know feeling the the distress associated with thoughts uh, like it's going to jump on me or it's going to bite me or it's going to crawl on me and i won't be able to get it off of me or whatever okay here's the thoughts They're, they're happening and the and the anxiety is going and and uh and okay um And what I do instinctively is I grab the nearest shoe and I squash it. And the spider is is no more, uh, or uh, so I think, of course, it's no more. So uh, case in point, I just engaged a quote-unquote safety behavior, and I'm no longer engaging exposure therapy. Right to engage the, the safety behavior means necessarily I'm not, uh, uh, you know, you uh, know, engaging exposure work. So okay, so there it is, or I run out of the room, or I hum a lullaby and close, and close my eyes, or whatever it might be. Again, safety behavior equals no exposure work. Fine. So here's where the uncertainty comes in. Let's imagine I go ahead and smash it, and it falls to the ground, and uh, and I continue on with uh, my, my day. Um, but, but I don't leave the room. Is it possible that the spider is not dead? The answer is intuitively. Yeah, it's possible. I, I didn't say probable just, you know, for those of us, uh, you know, wise guys out there. I didn't say, you know, I said, is it possible that the spider is? remember this is a big spider, right? And it's possible that, that I didn't, uh, you know, kill it. Uh, it's possible, possible, right? Operative word possible. Yeah. It's possible that I, didn't kill it, and thereby is it possible that it could actually get up and walk again? I guess it's possible, albeit unlikely. Okay, but possible. And if it is not dead and does get up and walk again, is it possible that it will still get on me? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. So even though I I, I engage the safety behavior, is it possible that that fear could still happen? Yep, the answer is yep, it's possible or let 's somehow I- imagine um, that i um, you know I run out of the room uh, instead of squishing it. Is it possible that somehow that spider could still get on me or a spider that 's just like it could still get on me or maybe already is on me again it 's possible it 's possible yeah although i 'm painting an unlikely picture I, un- I understand that and, and I, I suspect you understand that. The simple reality is uncertainty is everywhere, right? How many times have we made uh, decisions of one kind or another without having all of the uh, exhaustive and encyclopedic uh, information in front of us? Uh, How many times have we gotten into the car, for example, and driven across town or across a certain geography without knowing definitively? all the, uh, the, the, the hazards and challenges and, and variables that we'll encounter along the way, whether or not we'll encounter a car accident or ourselves get into a car accident, whether or not we'll survive, uh, the trip. Uh, of course we don't know this, but we go ahead and make a decision anyway to, to, to drive across town or across a geography, you know, or how many times have we sat down in a chair and, and again, not necessarily had the definitive knowledge if it was going to hold us up this, this particular time, now maybe a hundred other times it has. And, And so on. But the question is, do we know that this time, five seconds in the future, it will hold us up? Again, you know, we can sort of go back and forth, uh, you know, on that. But I think at the end of the day, we can both acknowledge. No, we don't know definitively 100% that it will hold us up yet. We go ahead and make the decision we're living in uncertainty, and we could go on and on and on about all the different examples that we encounter throughout the average day that are uh, kind of riddled with some level of uncertainty, that we live with uncertainty. Yet, when it comes to an anxiety-related disorder, we work hard, we work very hard to mitigate and eliminate uncertainty. Now, the point is, we are not able to do that. That is not possible There is always some level of uncertainty. Now, maybe my spider analogy was a bad analogy, and maybe to some extent my my chair analogy was a bad analogy, but if we were to get into the nuts and the bolts and the specifics of your fear cluster, I am very confident that we could really begin to look at when you engage your safety behaviors or compulsive patterns, you are still left with uncertainty. You may feel better inside. You may have a decreased level of anxiety in terms of that fear. For example, I wash my hands and therefore I feel more comfortable in relationship to a certain set of germs. I feel more comfortable after I have used hand sanitizer. But is it possible, is it possible that I still have a certain kind of bacteria or a certain kind of germ on my hands? Is it possible in some Way that my hands are still just as dirty after I wash them than they are, be, than they were before. Uh, again, the the answer is, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It may be unlikely, perhaps. Although perhaps it's not all that unlikely, depending on the kind of bacteria or germ we're talking about. But look, the reality is, it's. Possible, and then we take it a step farther. Is it possible that I could still get sick even though I have used hand sanitizer? Is it possible that I could still get sick even though I didn't come in contact with the surface? Is it is it possible that I could still get sick even though I didn't leave the house today or yesterday? Again, yeah, it's possible. It's possible we could come up with a hundred different scenarios, and the bottom line is that when we are working to engage our safety behaviors, one, we're not engaging exposure therapy, and two, we are still at risk for our fears coming to life. We are still at risk for to realize the fear. Now, again, if the fear is, the spider, by killing the spider, I could still have a spider on me or I could still get a spider on and washing my hands. I could still get sick and so on and so on. So I often will hear this statement uh, in session that I know that my intrusive thoughts are irrational. That's, uh, that's something I've heard many times. And perhaps that's something that you have been told your thoughts are irrational. Perhaps you've even been told that by, by a therapist and and in some cases, and maybe some rare cases, yeah, I can see how maybe there's some truth to that. But in the vast majority of occasions, and again, I'm not saying that is that is never, ever, 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 ever true. No, no, no. There are some occasions where, yeah, I can see the veracity of a statement of this kind. But look, the the reality is, in the many, many hundreds of cases that I've worked, there's just a very small handful of cases where I can say, yeah, that thought was really irrational. But what makes the thought rational is that the fear could happen. It could happen. It is, again, possible. It's possible. But is it possible that if I wash my hands, I will not get sick? The answer to that is no. It's not possible that I will not. That, that 100% is not is not real, I may reduce chances, but that wasn't the question. The question is, am I removing the possibility of sickness by washing my hands? No, I am not removing, fully removing, uprooting, and completely doing away with even the possibility of symptom presentation by washing my hands. No, that's not possible. So, is it... Is it an irrational thought to think, if I wash my hands, I'm not going to get sick? This is where we begin to see, to some very real extent, that it's not the intrusive thoughts that are irrational, but in fact, it is the compulsive patterns that are irrational. And we are doing ourselves an honest favor by working to identify in real time and stop safety behaviors because, again... We're working systematically and methodologically to reduce our symptom severity through that process, but also, also we're recognizing honestly that we're living within uncertainty with or without the compulsive decisions. We live within uncertainty. And so we might as well work to embrace uncertainty and recognize that it's our friend. We live with it all the time, every day of the week. Every minute of the day, every hour, we're living with uncertainty in one way or another. It is your friend, it's a part of your life. Every day, with or without anxiety, with or without compulsive patterns, it's a part of your life. It is. It is. Uh, uncertainty as to when I'm gonna stop talking about this stuff, you know. It, 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 it's there's uncertainty that we're you're facing and that I'm facing at every minute of the day. And it's engaging these compulsive patterns that that, that seek not only to mitigate, but to uproot and undo uncertainty that actually is the real problem. Again, anxiety-related disorders ultimately are behavioral problems. When we're looking at how symptomatologically they function and, and how they are served and fueled, the answer ultimately and always comes down to behaviors. The more I am behaving as if my fears are real the more i am making them real and making them louder and making them stronger and vice versa the more i am living as if they are not real the better i am feeling the less my anxiety is plaguing me the fewer intrusive thoughts images and urges i'm having the better off the 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 more the whole Uh, a set of symptoms begins to unravel and fall apart. It ultimately is a behavioral uh, disorder. So recognizing, going back to the 1984 study, right? Recognizing that, you know, I, I can't do exposure work if I'm also engaging in compulsions and I can't prevent compulsions and not do exposure work. Okay, fine. So where does that leave me? It leaves me living in uncertainty and appreciating uncertainty and recognizing that no matter how much time and effort I spend engaging compulsive patterns. I still am living in uncertainty. I haven't changed a thing. I still am living with the question mark, right? Sometimes OCD is, is, uh, called the, the doubting disease. And, and there's a specific, uh uh, 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 sort of symptom dimension or, or subtype uh, that specifically tends to get called the, um, the doubting disease but really the whole thing can be the doubting disease and I suppose in some real ways anxiety related disorders are also the doubting disease uh, in that we're always seeking this, this absolutistic sense of certainty absolute certainty that the fears won't happen. The mirage is that we will never ever achieve that. Never achieve that while there's while there's you know, uh, air in your lungs and, and, uh, and a beating heart in your chest. We'll never achieve this sense of absolute certainty. Never. Well, thanks again for tuning in, uh, to another episode of OCD straight talk. Uh, feel free as always to shoot me an email if you wish. Um, it is my name, Chris line, C-H-R-I-S-L-E-I-N-S zero four at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to respond to your email as quickly as I can uh, or at the very least uh, work your question into the next podcast. Uh, Thanks very, very much for listening. I appreciate it and uh, I'll see you the next episode.